This episode of the Back Button Podcast is brought to you by Loot Crate. Check them out at trylootcrate.com slash backbutton and use code BRIDGE10 to save 10% off your first order. the back button podcast you know the drill it's nothing right home about but today we have a special guest in studio because you know i like to do fun things apparently today's special guest is uh someone from the internet which is very weird for me that person is ben durham ben what's going on hey man happy to be here um excited to be part of the back button podcast extended network uh love what you've done with the place looks great Oh, why, why thank you. Why thank you, Ben. Um, so, Ben, like, tell tell the fine folks at home, you know, the lovely audience, since we don't have a studio audience today, what what is it that you, uh, what do you do? How do we know each other? What's, what's your game, bud? Um, what's my game? Uh, at the moment, I would say I've been playing quite a bit of League of Legends. Uh, I've also been playing the original Witcher quite, uh, quite a bit. I was playing the Witcher 2, and then I kind of went back and... I'm one of those guys who will like play a later version of a game so I can then return uh, to the original and play yeah. it all the way through. I've kind of been the same way. Like I started streaming recently and Witcher 3 is like the game that apparently most people watch me on for whatever fucking reason. Oh, okay. Witcher 3 and I've been playing through it and I'm like, fuck, I have Witcher 2 and I have Witcher 1. I should go back and play those as well. And I, just because I've never played them. Oh, man. So the Witcher, um, like the original Witcher game, right? If you play it, the controls on it are really clunky. And the I mean, I still enjoy it. Let me preface this by saying I really like the game. Uh, it's worth playing. If you're thinking about it, you should go play it. Um, the thing I've noticed, though, is the controls are pretty clunky. And honestly, the, the graphics are pretty bad. Uh, when well, I it's first like looked a 15-year-old game at this point, isn't it? Well, okay, see, that's what I thought. I thought that um, it was going to be from, like, I don't know, early 2000s, uh, maybe like late, late 1990s. Uh, I actually think it was made in 2006 or 2007. It, it doesn't look like that. Keep though. talking about it. I'm going to find out the date. Keep, keep Yeah. Talking. Okay. So um, the game itself is actually, it's not very challenging. I would honestly say if you're going to play it and you're looking for a challenge rather than just to uh, hear sort of the story of The Witcher, uh, you should probably go ahead and turn up the difficulty settings but other than that, it does a pretty good job of kind of, it introduces these like monsters that are fairly uh, common in the books. I don't know if you've read any of them, but um, I saw- I've, I started reading them at one point and then okay. I was like, no, please God. Oh, also it was uh, <laughs> October 26, 2007 was the original release. Yeah, it, it's crazy because you wouldn't think it's a game from 2007, uh, especially with the way that it handles. It's got kind of that weird pathing where you can- you know how wow when it first came out you had the ability where you could click on the ground and that was the default and oh you mean you mean runescape pathing yeah 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 so that's the main mode but you can also just walk around with a keyboard which is uh what i'm doing like wasd um but it's really strange because when it introduces it to you it, it introduces it that way um but outside of that i mean combat is also you know you click essentially to complete combos so depending on how you've built Geralt, uh, there's kind of like a, I suppose a wizard's uh, build is kind of how you'd express it, where you use certain signs like Axie. And, you're more uh, of the, like the, uh, the, like you said, the wizard, the mage, like you're using more of the, the magic part of it than the sword and board system. 
Right, right. And you specialize in, you know, the alchemy, like all of the, the potions that he collects and he drinks over time. Um, so that's one way of playing. I generally just stick to using the swords because I think it's the most effective. Um, I'll be honest, I read like a guide online before I went into it because I was just, at first I was like, oh, there's a whole talenting system. I'm, I'm not going to take the time to read all these talents. And so I just read online and they said, you know, go with the uh, silver sword spec. So obviously he has like a silver sword um, for fighting monsters and a steel sword for humanoids. Right. But uh, anyway, yeah, so it, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's really cool just to see these types of monsters. Like you have the you have the drowned, you have like kind of the I think it's Strieger is how it's pronounced. Uh, I'm not really sure about that. And then you have sort of these, uh, like these essentially vampires in it as well, as well as ghouls and other things here. You know, there's one thing I've noticed in Witcher Three, and I, I kind of absolutely hate it, is that the only thing I fucking fought in the entire goddamn game, it seems like, is the drowned and the bog witches. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much all there is in this game, and it's just—it's not like it's an well, it's kind of annoying because I've seen like a few fiends or whatever they're called, and a few of the like uh oh, fuck what are they like the the ghost witch things i can't even think of the name and it's just so high fantasy like a but banshee like, or kind of like a banshee like those like those type of things and all of those have been there but it seems like there's no other monsters for the most part like you get your spattering of those but everything else is just drowned in bog witches and i'm kind of over it which is half the reason i haven't gone back to the witcher in a couple weeks besides my studio getting torn up so i haven't been able to stream it Oh, yeah, I'll say that the uh, the Drowners are a really big part of especially the first act of um, the original Witcher game. It's it's just constantly Drowners. And I mean, even even uh, into Act 2, you're going to see a lot of them because they're they're kind of like the filler, right? It's like the boar, the uh, the wolf, I guess, for most MMOs. Right, right. So you're going to see a lot of that. Yeah, I, I definitely noticed a lot of that. And I'm just kind of over it but i need to get back in that game because i want to play the other two and i'm looking at the witcher wikipedia page the original and i didn't realize that it used bioware's engine to to make it and it's cd project red doing it and cd project red already is like an indie developer with how few people that they have working there but i can only imagine what it was like in 07 and probably why the graphics or the systems were a little wonky right like it's just it's 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 so cute. I'm like they're so cute and little. Look at them, see Project Red, and now they're coming out with fucking one of the biggest games that anybody's been waiting for with uh, uh, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Is that the correct year? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know a lot about um, like the game development industry. I mean, I'm in sure. software development, but I don't know the specifics of their industry. Um, obviously, like just looking back on it, right? It's like you look at a, a publisher, like a game developer, like. Uh, blizzard right so activision blizzard now but you look at where they came from um and so Making you think about that superhero games which well, we'll talk yeah. about <laughs> superheroes later but uh, yeah like it's just a weird time like seeing where blizzard is now where they're running like they're dominating esports in a sense with overwatch league like they have their actual teams and everything and it's based in cities which is almost a second attempt because like there's been companies that have tried it in the past with uh like playboy did a thing where they had they were sponsors for i think it was called egl or something like that it was some acronym but it was city-based teams and they all played like the games were like dead or alive Four, uh project gotham racing counter-strike source 
Like, it was the weirdest combination. And you would get points based on who won for you. And the team with the most points won the match. So if you were racing in Project Gotham Racing, you'd get, like, points. There was a two-man teams, I think. It was, like, you'd get points for first place, second place, third place, and fourth place. First place being the most and so on. And then those points would be tallied up at the end for the win. And I was like, that is a cool way to do it where it's not just focused on one game, but it's also really hard to watch because unless you know what you're watching for all the games, it could go anywhere. Like nobody knows what the fuck's going on. Yeah, I would. So two things about that. One, yeah, I totally agree. I could see that being really uh, not necessarily jarring, but very confusing when you get into that and you're not quite sure about how does this game play out? Like it's not quite the same as... um, really obvious games right like i guess street fighter is a good example of this when somebody gets knocked out it's usually pretty obvious to even a first-time viewer oh this person lost i mean their character is like unconscious on the ground or get executed in some fashion like if it's mortal Kombat. um so in that sense it's really obvious but like well i guess in a racing game it's pretty clear too isn't it because it would just be like racing would probably be easiest to watch yeah yeah Ah, hmm. I'm looking it up right now. So the team I used to watch because they were Chicago based was the Chicago Chimera. It was founded in 2007. And the thing was, or the league was called the Championship Gaming Series or CGS. Championship Gaming Series. Okay. Yeah. And like looking back on it, they had like big name players and stuff. And I'm looking at these names. I'm like, oh, these were, these were like the hardest hardcore players back in the day. Like back in the day, like uh, the big player, I guess, with Better Life Fours uh, on Chicago Camera, at least the big player was Black Mamba, who was a player of Dead or Alive 4, I guess. Oh, the four games were FIFA 08, Forza Motorsport 2, Dead or Alive 4, and Counter-Strike Source. And then they originally switched it, or it was originally Project Gotham Racing instead of Forza 2. And I don't remember FIFA being there, but there was another game that was. And it was just, it's weird, dude. Like, seeing where this could have been what we have as gaming, as uh, uh, fucking, you know what I mean? Fucking uh, esports. There we go. Right. This could have been what we had as esports. And then it graduated to now you focus on one game, one game only, and it is broadcast to the entire fucking planet. Like, Overwatch League. Like, uh league of legends dota all of those big tournaments it's crazy to watch well i mean so first of all uh that lineup actually when you read the second lineup i was like okay this sounds um they sound pretty popular uh so i could see that being a lineup but yeah i do agree it's interesting that we've shifted kind of or i say we but i mean more the esports scene has shifted towards this uh you know you have a single game you specialize in essentially um and that's the game that you play and sure a lot of people cross over but generally when they do it's something like uh this person used to play dota and now they switched over to league of legends or heroes of new earth or you know some some other equivalency that's like a it's a moba essentially right like they make moves in the scene but it's generally moving you're still in the same genre it's like exactly it's almost like you're going and i don't know what your actual sports ideals are or knowledge but like it's going from the european basketball leagues to the american basketball leagues like the big time is the american leagues but you know some people will go play in european leagues some people will go play in japan some people will play in canada like it's a it's different and there's probably a little bit of difference in rules but it's still the same fucking game more or less where with mobas right. it's like the idea or same idea where you're just jumping leagues basically 
you're not jumping like out of the genre itself. Right. I, I mean, I will say though, for that, um, the well, first of all, yeah, know nothing about sports. So sports analogies are going to be lost on me. But outside okay, of mostly that, on me too, so it's okay. <laughs> okay, cool. So outside of that, um, yeah, I mean, I think when you look at these types of uh, things, it's like it, it makes the most sense both for the players and also for the industry. I think because then you get to see sort of familiar faces. They get to transition between games, right? Um, I mean, mechanics do differ in the sense that so I've played like uh, Heroes of New Earth and Dota versus League of Legends. Um, and then obviously, God, Blizzard genre, um, uh, Heroes of the Storm. Uh, so I played Heroes, Good old of, the Heroes Storm. of the Storm. I love yeah. it fucking much. And, and it's like, Heroes of the Storm, up until recently, and this is like another tangent, I feel that their initial character design, they weren't very mechanically challenging, and they've definitely taken steps to, uh, to change that and to address the issue. But um, it was still a MOBA, ultimately. Like, I like it. it the characters moved differently. It was a little boxier, I guess, is the best way to describe them. Oh, yeah. When, yeah. when moving and using abilities. Um, but it's definitely coming about. And it's, you know, they're doing, a, they're doing a really good job of promoting the league. They're doing a really good job of sort of giving people uh, the ability to transfer over into these games. I know that they have, like, a collegiate lead as, or league as well. So, yeah, the uh, Heroes of the Dorm League. Heroes yeah. of the Dorm League is so cool, too, because Blizzard just... For the winning team, Blizzard just pays your fucking ride for whatever school you're at at the time. Oh, really? Yeah, the winning team of, I think, Heroes is five players or something, but the winning team gets their college paid for. Like, that's the whole thing with it, is that Blizzard will pay for your schooling if you do it. Wow. That's actually really cool. And, like, seeing that as that was the start of, like, collegiate sports, or esports, I should say, almost, and then now I've got a cousin who's running a, a collegiate esports team somewhere in the country, somewhere in the south. But knowing that there's our schools there that are doing collegiate esports and bringing that to the forefront is insane. And now you can get scholarships for being collegiate fucking esports player. Like, do you know how much I would kill a man to fucking have gone <laughs> to college first of all, but second of all to go for video game playing? Not not that's crazy. development playing. That's fucking insane. Well, yeah, so there's a couple of things that make that, I mean, there's a couple of things that make that really cool. So first of all, that, that's awesome that they're finding such a, um, a positive way, right, to promote the game, to promote their brands. I think that's, that's really cool. It obviously shows Absolutely. a lot of intelligence on their part also. Um, and, and I think also that it's really interesting kind of the shift that you're seeing where the publishers now um are the ones who are putting on the tournaments right because it used to be that you had some like third-party organization or it was just fans who got together and they put on sort of tournaments so that they could prove their skill and now you're seeing what was more the big more... one there was the big fucking game battles was that it uh i, I mean i think it was so. like call of duty and like it was call of duty and halo i think it was called game battles like that was that was absolutely the original setup where people were making their own teams of like their hometown friends and going to try to play quote unquote competitively. And now you you went from that to starting competitive leagues in games where you can play competitive Overwatch, competitive heroes, competitive what the fuck have you, and kind of roll with that. It's just weird, man. Like I love it, but it's weird to see it, the evolution in esports even from those old days. And I. Obviously, neither of us were alive to to watch sports as a whole kind of grow up. But I wonder if it was almost like the same thing where people would with baseball or basketball or what whatever, um, kind of starting out as, oh, we're just gonna go play this sport that we know. 
and hey, this team wants to play against us. Let's fucking do it. And it just kind of rose up into actual teams founding based on cities. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that whenever you see uh, whenever you see interest, right, and this is on like a larger scale even, but whenever you see interest being put towards and energy put towards um, like any activity, any product, it doesn't really matter what it is. There's going to be an industry that gets built around it. And, and I think that what we're seeing with esports is it's just it's really just the beginning. I mean, um, I remember I was really excited and I have like a little bit of a background with esports uh, and I jumped into it in about uh, 2011, 2012 um i jumped this in story i want to hear ben you got to tell me this whole ass story about you getting into esports and being an esports pro oh uh, it's a really i mean first of all first of all i'll say i was never a pro i was like a high rated player um I, but that's like high rated amongst a group of people who are like very 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 skilled right so it's sure. like even when you get to a high rating you're not necessarily at the competitive level i, I think a lot of people kind of uh, take that for granted, I, I guess, so they don't really think about it too much. Um, but anyway, now that I played my humble card, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, talk about yeah, it. Yeah, give me, give me that humble brag. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was back in like 2011, uh, 2012. I was a senior in high school at the time. I want to say, yeah, that sounds about right. Maybe I was a junior. Um, and essentially, my friends actually they had a website uh, before I even got involved, and they were doing a podcast, uh, podcast connection. I wasn't on it. Though. There you go. <laughs> and so they were podcasting back then um and they had a little website built around it i think it was like some wordpress site and i went in there and for some reason at the time i was really into league of legends and i said to them you know what what if we started an organization we know a lot of guys here uh, at school who play as well and we were always talking about it and i thought we could very easily transfer this into having like a podcast and we could extend further past that. Like if we just got high rated or we just knew people who were high rated and we kind of like we recorded matches and we had guides. And this was during the time where it's like, you know, uh, Solomid existed, but they weren't this. What's the best way to put it? They weren't this massive entity yet. Right. Like TSM hadn't gone through all the roster changes. It was the original TSM still. Uh, and, and so what you're seeing is it was really young still the entire scene, at least from League of Legends. So we went out there, we recruited, I actually went out onto the ladders and just started hitting up people uh, left, right, and center who are really high rated players um, because there was really no other way to do it. There wasn't like a, a, you know, like a discord everyone hung out in or anything like that. Back then we were still all using Skype for the most part and like getting someone Skype was, you know, it was a big deal. Um, so I started recruiting people. I actually started out with a guy uh, named the, the Captain America was like his handle. The um, Captain America, huh? The Captain America. He he was a Rumble main uh, from NA, obviously. We're in NA, and uh, he was he was just really really good, phenomenal player. Uh, he had a very interesting style where essentially he was very much against kind of what was the meta at the time, right? Not a lot of Rumble players. Um, and then in addition to that, he was one of the first top laners I saw who wasn't doing the kind of stay top and farm all game meta. He would actually actively pursue the enemy jungler. Um, so he'd lose a little CS, but he would generally get kills. And he just had a very aggressive, like kind of bully you out of lane play style that was really unique. Uh, I found him actually, he had barely any viewers. I think he was at like five viewers at the time or, or maybe 10. Um, and so that was he was really the first person who I got in contact with. We started talking uh, and we ended up setting up a team together. So we've had like a number of people since then. We had, um, let's see, I don't want to piss anybody off <laughs> by forgetting them. Uh, we had yeah, like Robert Lee. Anyway. It's fine. Uh, 
more than likely more than likely so so we had like uh robert exley is a pretty big name uh we had spelzy i think spelzy's now gone on to be a writer or, or something like that in esports I, I don't really keep up with them um we also had uh let's see here oh we had phantom lord at one point funny enough uh we also had sneaky uh he was on our team i think he's on cloud nine now and so uh, you had quite the like the little group going like yeah, yeah. You had a lot of the, like, not necessarily, like, a lot of the big names, but you had, like, notable players playing with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to think back during this time. I mean, I was, it was literally as simple as this. I was just going in there, finding people who were high rated on the ladders, uh, messaging them, putting together a team, and then we would go out to, like, um, ESL. So I think that stands for, like, Esports League. I can't really remember the, the you know, the reason behind that. Sure, sure, sure. But so we'd go out to these tournaments and I would just sign us up and we would play the matches. And, uh, you know, what was kind of tricky about it was keeping the team together, Um, especially because you got to think during this time, there was like a lot of teams that were suddenly starting to appear. People were recruiting pretty actively. So the environment, it was just really, really young. We were essentially just a group of guys uh, who didn't really know one another, kind of messaging each other from the ladders. Um, and then hopping in Skype and, and playing these matches, or at least they were playing the matches. I was more doing management slash coordination and then working on the website. And we were getting like, you know, hoodies and tea cozies and stuff like that, merged together essentially. Sure. Uh, excuse me while I take a sip. And so, no judgment. <laughs> and so we were trying to grow it um, very much from just like, the, yeah, this ragtag team we put together. And we had a lot of roster changes in the beginning. Um, we actually did fairly well against Solo Mid. Uh, I think that the video is still up on YouTube, but I'd have to go find it. Um, and it was just a, it was a really good team, you know. And since then, they've gone on and they've done really awesome things. Uh, I've stepped out of esports and gone into software development, but I still look back on you know tournaments and I still check in every once in a while to see what's going on. Uh, and it's just it's amazing to me how much it has grown from there. Um, and, and like I said earlier, I really don't think we've even like, I don't think we've even scratched the surface of it. I think people are... Gonna- no, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, esports as a whole, like, looking just at what Fortnite is now talking about doing or what they did with the Pro-Am at E3, the viewership that they had, like, the big names that they had, both of actors and famous, like, basketball players, whatever, and then the streamers. I can only imagine what's going to happen when you get an actual teams together. And I think there may have just been a tournament like the other day for it, for uh, uh, I think Red Bull put it on. Oh, Red okay. Bull, I think Red Bull put on a tournament because that Red Bull sponsors uh, Ninja, and everybody in their oh. fucking mother at this point knows who Ninja is. But Red Bull sponsors Ninja for Fortnite or for gaming in general because he's part of a game team that I don't remember. But he kind of has gone from that he's played you know in pro leagues and stuff and now he's the biggest goddamn streamer making a shit ton of money on the internet but it's just really cool to see like where esports is going and the big names that are getting behind it like overwatch league has jack in the box and t-mobile as uh sponsors and ninja has red bull and you just as you go kind of through these you find that there's these these companies that are sponsoring these teams that aren't necessarily uh gaming related like red bull sure like if you're gonna play all fucking night you're gonna pound a red bull or a monster and you're gonna fucking go at it but jack in the box t-mobile like like really yeah yeah it's incredible and you know it's it's funny actually i was just thinking um even in 
job interviews, right? Or even at work, just in general, speaking to my coworkers, uh, we've had multiple conversations now about uh, esports. And I'm actually, so where I work, I'm the youngest person um, in the office that I work in. And so you've got guys who are, you know, and it's really not that surprising, but you've got guys who are like in their mid 40s, you've got guys in their early 50s and stuff like that. And they'll come to me and they'll just start talking about it. They'll be like, yeah, so I was watching Twitch and, you know, uh, I've been checking out this stream and that stream. And what do you think about, um, you know, like this match that happened? And a lot of the times I haven't, you know, necessarily consumed whatever, uh, like whatever tournament they're watching or whatever stream it is. But just the fact that they're coming to me and talking about it, I'm like, wow, this is this is crazy. It's it's hit a point where it's like uh, going past just our generation, right? Right, um, and I think that's that's kind of like the we're we're hitting the point now where it is spreading to mass media. It is getting out there, and then with the deal, um, who was it? Blizzard just signed with Disney for Overwatch League being put on ESPN and Disney XD all next season. Is insane because you can just find it on tv now just regular ass tv you don't have to go to twitch you don't have to use the blizzard launcher to find it just turn on your fucking tv and it's on the big screen in the house that the whole family can sit there and watch obviously i don't think my mother would sit down and watch video games with me (laughs) but my dad probably like i can convince him to do it i know my brother and i if we still live together would sit on the couch and absolutely watch this because we watched uh cgs back in the day together because it was it was sponsored by direct tv and playboy and DirecTV had exclusive rights to viewership. So they used to you know, oh, broadcast the games okay. every every couple of days or whatever it was. And my brother and I would turn it on on the big screen in the living room and we'd sit there and we'd watch it. And we would just sit there and watch our favorite players. Like I was a big fan of Chicago Chimera because Chicago. And my brother liked um, a team called Complexity, which ended up becoming Complexity Gaming later on in life oh very cool okay so it's kind of cool to see like that like transition of some of these teams have continued others have kind of disbanded but a lot of their players have kept going for years but the thing with esports is there's only so much time you can watch a lot of these games or a lot of these uh streamers or players because you age out so quickly like i know i unless it was like a slower game like hearthstone at this point i don't think that i have the um the APM to keep up with a lot of the kids coming up now. I've lost it. I've gotten old and fat and slow. And <laughs> I'm saying that at 25, which is absolutely horrifying. But it's it's just weird to see that those these kids, like 16, 17, 18-year-olds, are coming up and doing this. And that's the same time frame that, like, Bryce Harper got into the MLB. Again, sports, I'm sorry. But Bryce Harper got into the MLB, and he's six months older than I am. He started at 18. I remember graduating high school and watching him play for the Washington Nationals against the Chicago Cubs, and it was just the most mind-blowing experience for me. Well, I mean, so you say – so this is a really interesting topic, this whole, like – I I guess it's like the influence of your age actually on your ability to play – um you know i always attribute this and it's something that i've noticed right like i've been playing league of legends like i said earlier uh i've been playing it for probably uh, i don't know like nine years ten years however long it's been out essentially right and what i've noticed is that obviously i'm much worse than i used to be i mean there's no arguing that um but i wonder if and this is not just to save my own ego (laughs) but i wonder if it doesn't have to do with the amount of time that you can actually dedicate to it right so you sure practice and everything as well but even the pro the pro players are getting out at like 26 27 like that's old in esports 
Well, are they citing uh, like an inability to compete, or is it just that they've made their money and they're moving on to something else? I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of teams are just getting rid of people for younger, more de- not dedicated, but you know, like younger, quicker talent. And then these older players are aging out and becoming coaches or team owners or anything like that. Like, um, there's a big team from the Chicagoland area called Optic Gaming. They are absolutely in everything, and Optic Gaming also owns a uh, connection, owns the Houston Outlaws Overwatch League team. That's why the colors are black and green, like Optic are. But I've got okay. friends who I've got friends of friends. I'll put it that way. Who hang out with the optic guys and just hearing their stories and knowing that like scump is younger than me and he's just making a shit ton of money and their house was paid for by comcast for their team house like it's insane but i've also seen older players age out and become coaches or go try to start their own franchises now and things like that and it's just because i don't think that they feel that they can compete on the same level or that coaches feel or team owners feel that they can compete on the same level because of age or dedication or whatever even if it is your full-time job see now that's interesting because whenever uh because i've considered this beforehand and i've always thought that it is just a shift of you know general interests i mean it's odd to say that there's fatigue behind you know sitting at a computer doing something for hours on end but there really is i mean these guys are probably playing like 15 hours a day, I would imagine. Uh, sure. I, I don't think that that's that crazy of a number to throw out there. And uh, although it would be interesting to see how much they actually are playing on average. But anyway, uh, I would have imagined that it had more to do with just kind of, you know, changing priorities in your life, looking at it, saying, okay, uh, you know, managing, uh, there's a lot to it. I'm certainly not downplaying that, but equally it's not quite the same as when you have to be, okay, like we got to do this skirmish. You know, I have to constantly be practicing these different champions. I have to be addressing uh, changes that come with you know the latest patch and its rebalances and is this tournament going to be on this patch right so all of these things you kind of have to weigh while once you move into management it's more like it's hr things it's more about coordinating it's about uh you know uh, making sure that everybody is there on time and it also is a lot about kind of depending on your organizational structure sort of pay um and, and dealing with that so I, I just think that people just trade out those responsibilities as their as their life evolves at least that's the way that i've always assumed it was no, and I can absolutely see that. Like, as you get to the 26, 27, 28 mark, like, a lot of times people are settling down or they've been with the same girl or guy or whatever for for years at that point, and they're looking to get married. They can't – there's no way in hell you're going to be able to keep a relationship legitimately for that extended period of time when all you're doing is gaming. And that's kind of like the stigma on our generation at this point is everybody and their mother's fucking playing video games or whatever, and how are they – procreating like let's be real here the only two things that go through my mind on a daily basis are video games and sex anyway so i don't think it would personally be an issue but i can i can see where dedicating time or starting a family or anything like that would be a reason why to get out and that's what that comes at that age point where you're in that higher 20s low 30s yeah like things change you're still making your money you have this whole bankroll that you've saved up for years because you've been pro gaming like, as long as you're good, you're good. Yeah, that, that's very true. You know, when you put it that way, um, to be one of those people who pulls out another statistic without actually having any sort of citing for it. Um, uh, I'm perfectly fine with those. I do it all the time. Okay, fantastic. So I remember reading at some point that the, I think the average age for uh, like a male getting married in the United States is 27. And I think for a female, it's like uh, 24, 25. 
So it sounds like my statistic. That means I should be looking for a younger girl. I'm I'm okay <laughs> with this. Hundred percent. Let's go. Well, and so when you look at that, like based on what you've just said there, you know, like uh, I mean, it would certainly support it. It it does make sense. I think it's just kind of that transition in your life, like we've said. Um, I also think that you know streaming now, right? So let's put competitive play entirely aside at this point. Let's just look at streaming. Um, I think streaming is just such an awesome way to to make revenue at this point in time. Um, making videos, you know, like VODs and like highlight reels and stuff like that. And yeah, the two kind of they definitely go hand in hand. It's much easier, I think, to have a popular stream when you're playing competitively because people are tuning in for uh, entertainment as well as skill. And some people are, you know, going there to learn and what have you. But um, I, I just think there's so many opportunities in sort of that area, that field, if you will. And so that's another thing that attracts people to kind of uh, make the transition. Not to mention, you know, shoutcasting, right? Like being a shoutcaster, being an announcer, um, I actually see job postings that go out there to be a shoutcaster for games. And it's crazy because it used to be that, well, at least I imagine, they basically just grabbed anybody who was sort of like on the Anybody who knew the game yeah. well enough to get out there and speak about it and be like, oh, this is a cool play. Let me get excited. Like, throw them out there, give them a microphone, let it go. And we've seen a lot more come down from that. I think I don't mean to cut you off, but we've seen a lot more come down from that recently because in the last few years, there's been a lot of shit going on with shoutcasters where they they aren't professional. They're just people out there that can talk about the game. You get people now with Overwatch League where they are incredibly professional, like they're wearing their suits. They're going out there. They look like fucking news reporters. It's great. I love it. I can't wait for a John Madden-esque person to just make his name in shout casting. And I think there already are a couple. Um, buddy of the show, Young Nick, and from the uh, BBP Tech episodes, has his favorite Overwatch League uh, shoutcaster. And I can't think of who it is right now. And he was a tall, skinny guy with glasses. That's all I remember. But every time he comes on, he goes, dude, that is my guy. Like, I, I'm so excited that he's he's out there shoutcasting for this because it's he's just a great personality. And I think that's where streaming comes into it, too, is – if you're a good streamer and you can hold attention and be able to conversate about the game you're playing while playing it, that's what makes for a good shoutcaster. I it wouldn't surprise me if, excuse me, in the next you know a few years, Ninja himself gets out of streaming or continues streaming, but gets out of the professional scene and starts doing shoutcasting because he is married. Him and his wife, or a longtime girlfriend at the very least, uh, just moved into a new place here in Illinois and like knowing that in the back of my head and thinking, okay, he's now going to be like having kids potentially or like right. things with her and like going on vacations and doing all that. It's, it's going to be weird if he doesn't try to continue in the gaming scene because he is the biggest name out there. Well, yeah, that's the thing, right? Is that it's like, uh, let's say for instance, if he decides or if, you know, uh, anyone else who's big in the gaming in the industry, if they decide to turn around and they're a streamer and they go out and they're going to apply to be, I don't know, they decide they're going to make a career shift, they're going back to college, they're going to be an accountant or something, right? Let's just pick something out of the air. Um, instantly, when you switch industries like that, you're going to be set back quite a bit because it's like you don't have any experience in that. You don't necessarily have the connections there. Um, you are just going to have to, you know, kind of climb back up the ladder as it was. So right. I think you're going to see a lot of these sort of horizontal uh, transitions that take place, right? People just go ahead and they're like, okay, 
Uh, I was already streaming. I was already competitive. Now I'm just going to be streaming for the entertainment. And, and sort of to what you were saying, if the personality is there, um, I don't see why you would have an issue with that, really. And, and I right. think it's just such a great way to to make money. And yeah, we're probably going to end up seeing more and more of that happening. Yeah, I'm very excited for that. But at this point, uh, Ben, we're going to take a uh, a quick quick little break here. Uh, when we get back, we are going to talk about some interesting things that came out of San Diego Comic-Con uh, this week and also chat about uh, possibly my favorite game. We've heard about it before many, many, many times, but also one of Ben's Ben's big games, and that is World of Warcraft and the 8.0 launch and the impending launch of Battle for Azeroth. But we'll talk about that in a few minutes. We'll be back. Hey Ben, I got I got a I got a little question for you. Oh yeah? What's that? Seeing as you've never been on the show before, and knowing my numbers, you've never listened to the show before. I I, right. I gotta know. Have you ever heard of Loot Crate? Uh Loot Crate. Uh what's that? Loot Crate, my my good, good, sweet angel internet boy, is the greatest, coolest, most exclusive box of fun you have ever received at your doorstep. Let me tell you. Okay, go on. It is just chock full of all of the nerdy shit we've been talking about, but in physical items that they deliver to your door for you to adore. Get the door and the door. You got it? What? I don't even have to go anywhere? Nope. It's delivered to your house monthly with full of t-shirts and pop vinyl and comic books and stickers buttons anything you could possibly want it's delivered to you and there's all different kinds too you into that weeb shit that anime weeb shit oh come on man you know me absolutely i figured you would like that they have anime boxes they've got gaming boxes they've got general pop culture boxes they've got specific pop culture boxes for shows and movies and everything then it is the coolest shit but you know what's even cooler? I can save you money on it, Ben. I can save you 10% on it, Ben. 10% on your order. And all you have to do is go to trylootcrate.com slash back button and use bridge10 at checkout to save 10% off your first order. 10 fucking percent, Ben. It's the coolest shit. And remember, it's trylootcrate.com slash back button and use code bridge10 at checkout. All right, and we are back, and we are talking about a couple of different topics. First of all, we're going to talk about uh, my personal favorite game that everybody loves hearing me talk about consistently, World of fucking Warcraft. And with World of Warcraft, we just had uh, an interesting experience happen where the new patch data, or like the pre-patch, launched and was launched terribly like it was it was no good it was very bad blue actually came out and apologized for it too ben did you have you played the pre-patch yet uh yeah so um i resubbed just to get on and to see you know kind of what was going on um so i played a little bit of it I, I was keeping up with kind of the so rolling out of legion going into battle for azeroth i was watching some of the content about you know what was going to happen and then i dropped off recently so when i came back in i was pretty shocked to find that uh my artifact had just been, you know, just switched off. Like, my legendary was just done. Yeah, that was just Didn't just let gone. me know anything. 
which kind of sucks. I mean, it's it's w- weird having a system through a game that isn't going to stay like the artifact weapons. I mean, we still do get the skins that we can use, but that's about it. Um, it's going to be interesting, though, going back to regular ass weapons, and I'm not very excited for it. Well, and so for me, it's like, okay, I look at it and obviously, you know, they've transplanted the, uh, so what, whatever, like talents, I guess is the best way to say it, whatever you would pick up usually on your artifact weapon. And now it looks like they've gone ahead, they've mixed it into the talent. Okay. For the most part. Yeah. They made it baseline or they, they made some adjustments to your baseline stats to accommodate for it. Right. So I, I see they've rolled that over. Um, you know what, honestly, like I've been playing, so I play predominantly a fire mage. And I got back on, you know, went ahead, grabbed whatever handful of talents I thought was going to be uh, useful to me. I grabbed, like, uh, Phoenix Flame and stuff like that, um, basically just to take the place of my artifact weapon that's now gone. And I started playing it, and, you know, I I enjoy it. I I think it's a good change. I think it's a positive change. It's just going to take a little bit of getting used to, like anything, right? But I don't think it's necessarily bad. No, I don't either. Um, Except for some of the, the odd changes like there's a couple reworks that were launched this time and a couple of like big changes how characters are played or talent trees and i'm very interested to see how all of that works especially with the global cooldown changes that were added but just playing in the pre-patch like i am far better on my discipline priest than i was before because now power shield is off uh or it doesn't have an actual cooldown it's just on the regular gcd and that's it so I can power word shield an entire team in a matter of seconds. And it's so fucking insane. The amount of shielding I can get. And then because of that, my atonement heals and everything else. Like, I really think discipline priests are going to be in a really good spot now. Um, I hear mages, though, are are kind of iffy. What was your experience playing with them so far? Huh. Well, okay. So, like I said, I've been playing fire. Um, for the most part... I- I don't know. So I'm probably going to main mage. I play it pretty much every expansion. And from what I've seen so far, it looks like at least for fire, and this could be really different for the others. I assume it probably is. Um, fire seems to be a lot of the same, really. I, I think I noticed that I was like critting less consistently than I used to. Um, and that's because of stat switches and everything else. Like they're, It's without real gear, so you're going to crit a lot less until you have you know, 8.0 top-level gear, or 8.1, whatever it is. Right. I, I mean, so I was playing Fire. Um, it seemed like a lot of the same to me. I think that, you know, I might switch to Arcane and try it out, or perhaps I'll go Frost or something like that. But for the most part, I think Fire looks it looks fine to me. Um, we won't really know, or at least my feeling is that I won't really know until I'm out there trying to do raids, trying to do dungeons, and seeing how I stack up against others. Uh, and also in PvP, right? I mean, for me, one of the big things is how much utility does my class offer, and when I'm in a PvP situation, uh, do I actually feel as if I can go toe-to-toe with people, or is it just like, oh, here comes, you know, XYZ class that's going to roll me into the ground? So until I have those types of experiences, I'm really not going to be sure about these changes. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling the same way, and the only reason that I've even had any inkling about you know how my how my pre feels right now is because I've jumped into uh, Raid Finder and Raid Finder is a shit show. I mean, it's, oh, yeah? it always is, no matter what time of fucking raid it, or not what time of raid, what time of uh, patch cycle it is. But it's weird jumping in there and just seeing the amount of healing or whatever I'm getting off compared to what I was before, because it does seem a lot lower. And the stat squish that they implemented doesn't really help anything because my numbers are tiny little fragments of what they were before. 
I know it's the same, you know, realistically, it's the same power level in quotes, but it's not what I'm used to seeing. And it's kind of weird to get used to. But once you do, it makes way more sense. And they haven't done a stat, uh, stat switch like this since, I believe, Cataclysm. Right. So it's interesting to see, you know, how, what they do the second time around that may have changed from the first time. Well, yeah. So the scaling on, so the scaling on the damage, I did notice immediately when I stepped in. Um, minus the not critting as often, uh, I did like still the pace, right? The pace at which I was kind of like dispatching people, like how quickly sure. I was able to kill things. Uh, it still felt, it still felt really, really good. Um, maybe it's even better for Arcane or for Frost. I really don't know yet. But at least for me, it seems like all the changes so far have been pretty positive. I haven't really had too many problems. Um, actually, on the whole, you know, the, the whole notion of the Discipline Priest, I rolled one just because I was like, okay, what am I going to make my, uh, like, the Allied Race Nightborn or... Yeah, I think it's Nightborn, right? The New Elves for the Horde? Um, I was like, well, what am I going to yes. end up playing for this? And so I ended up rolling one. Um, I was Shadow initially, but I, it just seemed kind of weird like it just didn't seem right maybe it's because of the level that i was at so i did end up going discipline and i'll say that uh disc i think is probably the most enjoyable healing spec i've played since like burning crusade it's just so much fun it's the offensive healer um i suppose maybe you can say the same for holy paladin because they get pretty close now uh holy paladin is what i more or less made through legion like i started off tanking on death knight and then my team just needed more healers. So we had enough tanks. I let somebody else take my tank slot and went Holy Paladin. And Holy Paladin was in an interesting spot in a lot of raiding last X-Pack, well, last X-Pack being Legion, because on some fights, you were the golden god. On other fights, you were fucking trash. And it all really did depend on, you know, what what the situation was if there was a lot of movement if there was tanks taking a lot of damage if you could get off a lot of good heals and i guess that's more or less how it is with most healing or most damage or most tanks for that matter for all classes but you and i are friends with a guy named larry who's part of the back button productions team and he rolls a druid and his druid it's because of how he plays as a human being like he's ridiculous with what he knows and what tools he uses but he would consistently beat my ass in fights except for like <laughs> two there were two fights that i could top him in and every time i did it i was the happiest boy but every other fight i would just sit in the corner and cry because my numbers would be lower than his or lower than any other druid and i think that may have been more of a balancing issue than anything else and they just kind of left druids where they were but I'm excited to see what happens now with all of the changes if we do get that shot at Holy Paladins being better or Discipline Priest taking the top slot or Monks or who the fuck ever. I'm just kind of overseeing Druids being the top healer all the time, always. And it's been like that for a little while now. Well, I'm wondering if, uh, so like uh, Restoration Shamans, right? I'm wondering if they aren't going to play a bigger part because there was a while there where they were, they at least to me, it seemed like every raid wanted one, right? Like they seem right. like they were kind of the the heavy hitters of the AOE healing, maybe not so much the single target heals. But if you had a raid group, and especially if you had a fight, and it was going to be a clumped one, right? It, it was going to be a shaman was going to be there. Um, and so I'm wondering if moving forwards, maybe they aren't going to be the ones who show, you know, I guess supremacy in the healing game is the best way to put it. 
um, or, or maybe they've kind of scaled that back because they've realized they need to give other healers kind of a place to, uh, you know, kind of a, a place to fill other roles. Like, Discipline's really good because of the mitigation, right? No cooldown on their, uh, right. it's like, power word shield or, you know, the bubble. Um, so they're really great when it comes to that. I feel like Holy Paladins are more of a, uh, what, is it, like a tank? Like, single uh, main They're tank more healer? of, like, a single target healer um, with, like, good team heals that will always heal your tanks with... Uh, their beacons ability yeah and i think that that could be it could be really interesting to see how they go about mixing things up um it's one thing that i found interesting and it's kind of goes more off on the tangent of game design but um it's always interesting what companies do in order to both balance and disbalance the game right because i gotta think that uh they do a lot to balance the game like, when you see something and it's just absurd, the numbers are too high, it doesn't make any sense how much damage output there is or how much healing can be done with a class, generally they try and scale that. They'll either buff others or they'll, you know, kind of bring those back to baseline, the ones who are performing too much. But equally, having that, uh, having that difference in the power levels is what keeps games interesting, right? Be- because it's not like a static baseline. I don't heal for 50 you don't heal for exactly 50 as a different class. But, I mean, right. that wouldn't be, where would be the excitement? In it, right? So then it just comes down to visuals at that point, if, if that's all we're going to do. Yeah, we're getting cool spell effects and flashy flashies, and then that's about it. Like, I, I do enjoy, and this, is, this comes with balancing as well, I do enjoy how each individual healer and DPS, for the most part, feel different with how you play them. Personally, I've felt that tanks have been static. Like once you learn one, it's all about putting the abilities in the exact same spots on your bars or putting a new new abilities for a different class on the exact same spots they'd be on your main tank and just repeating your same hand motions over and over and over again. I've done it with paladins. I've done it with warriors. I've done it with druids. There's a couple of interesting twitches to that. But tanks, for the most part, are just fucking tanks. They stand there, and they hit a couple buttons, and they have a taunt. That's about it. What do you think about the... I know they said something about... There was a threat reduction that rolled out, I think. Maybe yes, they, and they I'm very it excited for it. Um, they cut it down. So it used to be... If I remember the numbers correctly, it used to be that a tank doing 1,000 damage would generate 16,000 threat. A DPS doing 1,000 damage would generate 1,000 threat. They've lowered that now to a tank doing a thousand damage equals four thousand threat a dps doing a thousand damage equals a thousand threat so dps numbers are always going to be higher than tanks so it's going to be interesting to see how uh mob mentality works and how mob handling works i think that the last few expansions it's dumbed down tanking to the point that i still like it because i've always been a tank i know what i'm doing with the class it's made it easier for me but I think it's made it an easy entry for a lot of tanks. And it wouldn't surprise me if the overall tank numbers, because of this switch, drop. Not necessarily exponentially, oh, really? but for a good amount, because it's going to be harder to deal with DPS pulling uh, threat off of you. Which yeah, hasn't been like that since Wrath of the Lich King, or maybe even Cataclysm. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works, and... Maybe I'll actually get a fucking tank slot because, you know, everybody else is hot garbage again, <laughs> which will make me a happy boy. Yeah, cutting it back, that's wild. So from 16,000, it would go down to 4,000 for uh, 1,000 damage dealt, right? So right. that's it's effectively, they've cut it down to you're doing a quarter of the threat generation. 
Right, because they made it stupid easy for tanks to generate threat. Like, you just had to stand there and look pretty, and the boss was going to smack you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be really interesting. I think that you probably are right when you say that you're going to see um, maybe fewer tanks or fewer people who are hybrid classes uh, deciding to go tank. I mean, to me, it's like, so playing a mage, um, I never was pulling aggro off of a, off of a tank. I mean, it would have to be a scenario where we run, like, we run through a room, and maybe there's some, you know, there's a straggler that hasn't been hit by any AOE at that point in time, and I hit him with a couple of pyroblasts, right? That's like the best that I would get as far as, oh, I'm gonna actually pull this thing off. But it sounds like with the changes, it's it's actually quite possible for me to, you know, uh, we do an AOE pull, and I end up grabbing one or two mobs out of a pack, and then having them chase me down into, you know, uh, hopefully wherever the tanks are gonna go pick them up. So, right. um. I wonder if we're also going to see that translate to more of a strain on healers because it's going to be now that, you know, your top DPS potentially can be stealing uh, mobs off of the off of the tanks at this point. I think as a whole, and this is kind of what Blizzard wanted, is it's going to lead to a more dynamic gameplay instead of just being, hey, the healers are going to kind of watch for AOE shit and they're going to heal the tanks and that's about fucking it. Now it's oh shit, the hunter pulled threat, heal him, heal him, <laughs> heal him, put a shield on him, oh my god. I'm very excited for that to work out in that way. Um, but also, like I said, I'm more scared now for the people who have kind of branched off into tanking and healing just to reflood the DPS uh, pools. Because if they're afraid to do tanking because they don't have the mob management skills or they're afraid to heal because they're used to healing, you know, the occasional target, but focusing mostly on the tanks, it's going to get a little funky when all of those numbers from both sides just drop into the middle of DPS because it's easier. It's safer. You still want, you still like the game and you still want to play the content. Well, my hope would be with that, that, uh, and maybe this is just like wishful thinking, right? But my hope would be that the degree of competency then for the remainder of the tanks uh, and the remainder of healers, right, if this does actually affect healers, um, would actually increase. So it's going to be frustrating because you're going to have a harder time actually finding these people to fill the roles. However, when you do find them, you would imagine that these are going to be people who are really skilled at fulfilling the role um, and hopefully aren't just, yeah, I'll multi-spec and I'll just hit tank he was four minutes instead of 30 minutes right exactly and i just looked it up uh just to be 100 percent sure on wowhead um they have the release guide for 8.0 and the, one of the big headers is tank threat has been massively reduced battle for azeroth reduces threat of all tank specializations by around 75 percent from its legion wow. counterpart so yeah. that's terrifying as a person who's going in as a healer but that's amazing for a person who is main tank since wrath of the lich king yeah i mean do you think that that's going to help out with the uh you know kind of with the the gameplay of being a tank i, I mean i think short of adding new abilities, i think it's going to be more fun now because it used to be a lot of a lot of the big fights and people were talking about this during legion were hey you're gonna stand there you're gonna swap the boss and then you're gonna swap back and you're gonna run away for a second and that's about it like there was no truly fun tank fights because most of the time you could ignore um you could ignore your mob management because you do one fucking aoe and they're all looking at you there's no way to get them off of you it's fucking impossible now 
you're going to do an AOE and it's going to kind of hold threat, but you need to continually do damage. So unless they're dropping threat and boosting tank DPS, we're going to, we're going to see a very interesting couple of raids coming uh, for the normal level players. I think that the, the high level players, the, um, the methods of the world, the realm and world first of the world aren't going to have nearly as much of an issue with this, but I think you're, your normal raiders, your heroic raiders are going to have some some serious things to think about coming with this expansion. And I I hope personally it leads to some people who have been tanking. And I, I don't mean to say this for the community because I think that the tanking community and people who are playing absolutely deserve to continue doing what they want to do. But I hope personally it leads to a lot less of bullshit tanking. Because <laughs> like if you jump into a dungeon now or if you jump into a an LFR or a raid group or something, and there's a tank up there who thinks he knows what he's doing because he was really good at it. Legion, th- that was half of the game from the game right. previous. And I'm not one to say, oh, vanilla WoW was better. Like it, it was a pain in the ass. But there were certain parts about it up through Wrath, I would say, maybe even Cataclysm, um, that all of the classes felt more diverse and it was harder to play your role not necessarily harder but more interesting and challenging to play your role um and it's interesting to see them kind of go back to that and i'm wondering if it's more backlash from the vanilla wow group who are like we want it back to be hard me like great (laughs) you're getting your classic servers i'm super excited for you i'm gonna play it for like probably an hour and then never touch it again but I understand partially where you're coming from, where with like these systems of tanking, where it was 16 times damage compared to four times damage for threat generation, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a shit show. It really, truly is. Well, I mean, okay. So when I look at, uh, so there's a couple of things you touched on, but when I look at changes like this, right, the first thing that I think of is there seems to be like this pendulum. Um, and you see it in a lot of video games. I don't think that WoW is unique. I don't think that uh, Blizzard as a developer um, or publisher is unique in this sense. But when you look at it, there's always this pendulum between like uh, casual and what a lot of people like to refer to as kind of like hardcore. But essentially, the more uh, skilled, the more you know requirements that are uh, necessary in order to compete at like a certain level or even to be able to do, you know just do content past a certain point. Um, do you think, because this is kind of my feeling, do you think that the pendulum has swung too far towards sort of like more casual gameplay? And this is part of maybe like a larger plan to kind of recenter it or, or bring it back over to the side of making things uh, require more skill in the game? Doing my best not to sound like a neckbeard. Uh, yeah, I think they're going to try to recenter it and that it did go way too far in the casual. Um, but with that blizzard's also trying to figure out where they can sit because you know for the longest time they've been saying our our demographic has aged with the game there's not as many 12 year olds playing as there was 14 years ago like when i started yeah definitely much different now where you're 26 you're working a full-time job like that is the main demographic playing this game now um but you also get your older people like i rated uh in legion with married couples that were in their 50s and 60s like they're good players they know what they're doing but they don't have the time dedication to keep up with gearing or anything like that they just raid they have two nights a week they dedicate that and that's all they have and i'm okay with that because that's pretty much what my schedule leads to right now as well where i've only got two nights a week i i am doing i'm working my full-time job 
I'm doing podcasts like this. I'm working on 16 other projects that I want to eventually get out and I want to play WoW and I want to raid. So I have two nights. That's it. That's all I can dedicate to it. Um, and once you get to that level or that age group, it's hard to not just swing to the casual side because those are the people you're trying to keep around where if you swing more central, some of those players might drop off because, oh shit, the game's hard now. I don't have the time to keep up with this anymore. Blah, 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 blah. I'm quitting. Yeah, and I, you know something that uh, something also that I think shouldn't be undervalued is is the content creators, right? So like, um, dude, I can't wait to be a WoW streamer when this fucking X pack drops. It's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah, that'd actually be pretty cool. Um, so for content streamers, I was just thinking, you know, there's there's a certain amount of effort that obviously they're gonna have to put in. They're going to have to be playing the game. They keep on top of like all the updates and everything, uh, because it's their job. And so, or in, you know, in some cases, it is their job. And so when I look at that, I think that perhaps the changes that they're making, these rebalances, um, you know, I say hopefully, um, but I'd also say probably there's more of this to come. And I think for them, it's it's also going to be interesting because one, it's more, you know, it's more to talk about. I mean, here we are talking about it. And two, it, you know, maybe that gets them back into the game or it gives them something that they can go and say for people out there who have played it in the past but maybe they ended up leaving because you know oh they decided it wasn't enough of a challenge like it bored them because you know that happens to people it ends up boring them after a while right absolutely maybe this draws them back in is what i'm getting at maybe this is the thing um or at least several of like changes like this in the same vein are going to be the thing that gets them back i can see that because of the changes that they made between um because of the failure, in my opinion, of Warlords of Draenor, um, the drop-off from Mists of Pandaria, and now the story changes and the gameplay changes that they're making from Legion to Battle for Azeroth, or even just from Warlords of Draenor to Legion, I think that they're trying to kind of swing it back to give you a more-to-do, better rating experience, better whatever experience. But the people they're still trying to focus on are the raiders. Like, raiding and PvP are the two things you do. They have now added Mythic Plus, which is, like, raiding micro-sized, but it's the same idea. There's always a new challenge or something going on for you to focus on. It's just the amount of time you can dedicate to it. Mythic Plus, you can knock out, you know, if you've got 45 minutes, you know, every night, you can knock out your Mythic Pluses and get up there in ranks. Um... But if you, you know, if you don't have two hours to do two nights a week or what have you, PvP is kind of the same idea where if you're interested in the competitive as competitive aspect, excuse me, um, you can do PvP. You can fight it out with, you know, people online, whatever, and you can enjoy the game that way. I think this is kind of a combination of making the rating and dungeon experience better because PvP kind of had a hold on it for a while of like what was going on. And also bringing back the old players, much like you mentioned. Well, you know, you spoke of uh, like micro raids, right? Or, or kind of like micro dungeons. Um, I'm really excited. It's obviously not out yet, uh, or at least I don't think it's out with the most recent patch. But no, it can't be out. What am I saying? It's not out. It'll be out on the the August 14th is the release date. 13th in the states. Right. So you you probably already know what I'm referring to. It's the uh, it's the island hopping sort of scenarios yep. that they have set up. I've looked at a couple of those um, from some like alpha uh, testing, and man, that looks like it's going to be so much fun. I actually think that's going to be really cool, um, and I love the idea that you know it can be against so NPCs or it can also be against players. I believe. Right. Um, yeah. That is going to be. That's probably going to be what I spend most of my time doing, to be honest. That just looks really cool to me. 
Oh yeah, it's gonna be. It, I guarantee, just knowing that you and I will probably end up playing together because of our mutual friends. Right. We're gonna be doing a lot of that, and then we're gonna be going into raiding, just like the same old, same old. Like, and I hate to say it like that because it's always different content. There's always something new to do, but it is the same game. It's the same game. It's been the same game for fucking 14 years. It's just the micro changes that they've made have kind of leveled up in a sense. Yeah, and I mean, they, you know, they introduced new, um, I, I mean, so from a software development perspective, first of all, I'm blown away with what they've managed to do with the platform, given that it's the same engine and that they've essentially just been, uh, to my understanding, like refactoring, rebuilding sections of it and then adding to it as time has gone on. Right. But from a less technical standpoint, right, I, I'm always astounded with what they can do with the mechanics that they have available and the limitations that are inherent in the system. Like they've done such a good job of keeping this content, um, you know, the sharding, right? So they have the sharding yep. where you do yep. like, uh, you do phasing and then you also can be attached to like a battle group and then equally you can teleport, you know, air quotes teleport to someone's server. Um, all of these small changes, right, in the mechanics of it, uh, they've been able to do so much with that. And I mean, I, I, you probably remember. Do you remember how much of a shit show it was when they first introduced phasing in, I think, Wrath of the Lich King is when yep. it first hit? Yeah, it was It was nightmare mode. I mean, it, it, yeah, exactly that. It was nightmare mode. It was terrible. You would try and do a quest, and you would be phased improperly, and you would, like, log out, you log back in, maybe you got phased correctly, and maybe you left the zone and came back in and suddenly it updated. Um, and you'd be phased differently from other people. So there was just right. nothing that you could do. You couldn't go back and help somebody. And they've refined a lot of that. And then moving forwards, it's like, okay, um, they've obviously taken the time and they've looked at what are people interested in. And it started with, I think, challenge mode runs where you had the timers. Yep. Uh, and then they went, okay, yeah, so let's go ahead and let's expand on this system. And we're going to reuse all the mechanics that we had previously. And now we're going to make these like islands that randomly spawn uh, scenarios, another mechanic that they're reusing. Um, and we're just going to reintroduce that as content. And some people look at it and they're like, oh, it's just recycling, it's repackaging, whatever. And I guess I, I could see how you would say that, but equally I'm like, that's such a clever, that's such a clever means of reusing mechanics that you already have when you're dealing Blizzard with Blizzard is very good at that. Blizzard is very good at um, making something and then completely spinning it, on, spinning it on its head for the next expansion. Like, they did it with scenarios. They did it with sharding. They did it with uh, challenge mode dungeons, like you had mentioned. And it's just continually evolving. And I'm very interested to see, you know, what that next big introduction becomes. Well, it's also funny that... So you kind of look at the arc of where the game is going. And granted... Uh, I used to be more interested in sort of the backstory and the, the lore of it. I'm really not that into it now. Um, I'm, I'm a I'm huge just more man. casual. <laughs> okay. So then for you, you probably know more about it. But to me, it's interesting that it's like, you know, we went to Outlands, right? That was the first major expansion. We went to Outlands. Um, and since then, if you even think about like kind of the ideas, right? So we went to Outlands, then we came back to Azeroth. We dealt with uh, Wrath of the Lich King. Uh, we do Cataclysm. Once again, it's Azeroth. It's a revamp of the entire world. That. Uh, Cataclysm, you know, as a side note, that was essentially WoW 2.0 in the sense that they reformed most of vanilla WoW yes. uh, with quest lines and, and even the, the, top, like the topology of the map. It completely shifted. Um, you know, it's a side story. But anyway, what I'm getting at is that it, it's interesting because now I feel more than ever we're heading towards sort of this where's the jumping off point, right, with the introduction of Void Elves and all this other junk where we go more and more into space. 
because and I know that comes out of kind of left field when I say that, but no, it really doesn't because of the artist thing that we just got out of with Legion. I mean, you're not wrong. We are going to go further and further into into other planets. But I think what lore wise, what's going to happen first is we're going to have to deal with Azeroth as as a titan being before we go into dealing with any other planets in that same regard well okay well i don't really understand the the whole concept of the titan to be honest so 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 the titan thing and we'll talk about this quickly is um that the titans themselves so sargeras and uh kazgaroth and all of them were planets and the planets were basically eggshells so they broke out of their planets and they became these giant celestial beings that kind of went around and reshaped other worlds that they saw may have latent titan energy or you know might be housing another titan being and they found azeroth and azeroth was the strongest like potency of titan energy they had ever found so like okay we really need to pay attention to this one and Sargeras went off and lost his mind because he found the void. He found like the old gods essentially on other planets. And he just started cleaving planets in two and killing everything and entrapping demons to use as his army. That's where the Burning Crusade started, the Burning Legion. Um, so the entire idea is that Azeroth is a living being. Azeroth is a titan. And she just hasn't hatched yet. She may okay. never. We don't know. But that's why Sargeras is stabbing of the world with his sword at the end of Legion, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> actually makes a big, big point because she could die. In theory, she's in a lot of pain. She could die. If Azeroth, the most powerful Titan, dies, what the fuck happens? Right. I, so, hmm. When I look at that, yeah, I mean, so that even more so just points to the fact that, like, we're going, obviously, to go to other planets. I, I think that's pretty clear. I, I think it's interesting. To me, it's almost as if Battle for Azeroth, when I look at it, right, they're, they're going to try out, just like with every other expansion, they're going to try out new mechanics on us. They're going to try out uh, new ideas. Like, one thing, and they kind of, well, at least from what I've seen casually mentioned, AI, when it comes to the NPCs on these islands. Sure. And when I look at that, I'm like, okay, to me, that signals, hey, we're going to go test this out. We're not sure how good the uh, artificial intelligence is really going to be, um, but likely it's going to improve because the system stays fairly static as far as the abilities you can use. And they're going to use that to build, I don't know, maybe bigger and bigger boss encounters. Perhaps, you know, it's not going to be as simple as, oh, well, you pull the boss over here and you talk back and forth, kind of like what you were saying earlier. Maybe it's going to be that this system evolves and it comes out to be something like, well, hey, so the boss can really take four different measures at this point in time. But what it's going to do is going to be kind of based on your group, maybe your composition, or it's going to be based on what it decides you have the most difficulty handling. Um, right, like the, the mobs that come out at first are like gauging you and the boss uses that to its advantage or to its weakness, depending on the level of you know difficulty you select in the beginning. Yeah, exactly. And I and to not to go too far on this tangent, but I could see people definitely gaming that, right? Like if it actually it shouldn't necessarily scale difficulty wise based on how you perform, because then everyone would abuse that fact. Oh, but, absolutely. Um, I could see it. I could see it certainly adjusting, and I think that that actually plays in really cool with this idea of 
you know, we're going into outer space. Like we're finding the uh, the Titans, right? Or we're finding other like, you know, Titan host planets or what have you. Um, I think that that would be really interesting too, to kind of have this running in parallel. Like the story is kind of reaching out to alternative forms of life in the universe, um, like very ancient life, it sounds like. And then in addition to that, we're kind of marrying it with like artificial intelligence, which is a very new uh, way of computing, I guess is the best way putting it. right like i don't necessarily see uh blizzard getting a supercomputer for ai and oh yeah a fucking like ai assistant or anything out of this but it, it that idea does definitely flow with me well yeah and i mean yeah it's exactly that i mean when i say ai it's like it's kind of a, a misnomer we're not really talking about like true artificial intelligence right we haven't hit that point but right. um just like machine learning like having something that can Behind it, it's essentially it's just all data points and then yeah. just figures the shit out. Now, Ben, um, we do have about 20 minutes left. Okay. So I want to talk about some some big things that came out of SCCC that I know really matter to you and me. Uh, but we're going to start with the ones we care less about first. That first one being Shazam. Now, I know you just watched the trailer. and I, I know did. you don't really know much about the character. But having seen the trailer and knowing what DC has made in the past, like justice league and wonder woman and all that even if you haven't seen it just like knowing the general reaction to it do you think based on this trailer that this is going to be a much different story told by dc um you know what i I think that it's going to have sort of a similar level of humor um you know at least from what i've seen I, i think that it's going to be first of all this is something that i actually watched the trailer for and i looked at it and said okay this is something i can actually see myself like going out and making an effort see which is pretty rare at least for me i don't really bother going anywhere to see uh movies i think like a lot of people i'm more, more one of those i'll catch You're it inside boy yeah i'll catch it when it hits netflix or i'll you know i'll get it on amazon prime or whatever um so for me i saw this and i was like not having any familiarity with it it sounds like they've got really good humor in it it seems like it's going to be fun it's going to be interesting um i sometimes favor more like gritty uh tv shows and and you know, when it comes to superheroes, more gritty content. But this looks to be pretty promising, actually. I I couldn't agree more. And I think compared to what I've seen in the past from DC, such as like Batman versus Superman or um, Man of Steel or what they're talking about with the Batman movie, Wonder Woman, any of that, uh, I think this movie could be like the the key that unlocks the DC universe in cinematography they are already killing the game in animation they've been doing that for years marvel hasn't been able to touch them but from that they are they just can't touch marvel in cinematography right and i think that shazam might be the key to that because it is lighthearted and funny it's a different character it's something people haven't seen much of unless you are really familiar with the character i'm not incredibly familiar but i know who Shazam is, I know his backstory, I know how he works, I know who his enemies are. It's going to be very fun to see, you know, Zachary Levy, or however you say his name, playing this character. It's the dude from fucking Scrubs, or whatever, playing... I think it's the same dude. I could be completely wrong. Are I don't you care serious? anymore. I'm pretty sure that was the same dude. I could be very wrong. Not sure. But seeing him, seeing that actor that's known for comedy playing a slightly comedic character that just must be a kid that grows up instantly and has superpowers. 
I'm very excited to see that. And it, I saw an article heading today that kind of captured that for me. And it said, you know, this could be DC's PG rated answer to Deadpool, where it could be all about the fun and the shit the character gets into and less about the I'm a fucking gritty ass superhero. Let's go fight like DC is known for right now with Wonder Woman and everything else. Wonder yeah. Woman, I keep get, I keep mentioning Wonder Woman. I don't mean to cut you off. I keep mentioning Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is probably the best movie they've put out in a long time. I mean more Justice League or Batman versus Superman. Well, no, honestly, here this is where I this is where I show my hand. Like I really, when I said that I don't see a lot of movies, I, I really haven't gone and seen a lot of movies. I mean, sure. so I'm basing my entire. So for me, it's actually kind of a unique perspective in the sense that, like. Uh, for instance, I, I haven't seen the Wonder Woman movie. Uh, I haven't seen like Justice League or any any of the movies really. So I've seen like the trailers. I've seen you know clips from it or whatever when it gets posted or when I just go online and I'm curious about it. But um, for me, also that's why this trailer was more impactful because I looked at it and I said, yeah, that is actually something that I could see myself going out and you know actually be a consumer of. Now. That is something, like I said, we're going from least interested to most interested. So from that point, we're going to jump into some weeb trash, and we're going to talk about the Dragon Ball Super movie featuring Broly, uh, a big-name character from the movies in the past. Now, Ben, I know you haven't seen Super. I've seen the majority of it. I know how the story goes, and I kind of gave up after that. But from your perspective, seeing Broly in a different light possibly even as a completely like reworked character or a first introduction character how do you see this movie going because i don't see it being a retell of the first time we saw broly i see it being something completely different with a similarly like attuned character do you kind of agree with that or well so okay so this is what i was thinking about i just saw the trailer and uh I seem to recall, I haven't seen Broly in, you know, years and years and years, right? But I seem to recall him being sort of like, uh, I guess a psycho is the best way to put it, right? Completely enraged, at least especially towards the end of the movie, um, and just kind of being this like super hulking uh, Super Saiyan. And it looked like to me, at least from the trailer, yes, he's incredibly powerful. We get that. That's his whole thing. But it also seemed that they were potentially going to make him more humanized, I guess, like maybe more depth to the character. I, I I think that could be really interesting and i agree with you i don't think that this is just going to be another rehash i don't think it's going to be well it's going to be powering up for six hours you know that's that's, that's dragon ball that's standard. we need that we need that right but it's like i think that um yeah I, I i honestly think they could do a lot with this i'm interested to see how they're going to flush him out and i think that they will do that i'm very excited to know that it's a toriyama story um that it's coming right off of super and that the original creator of dragon ball and who's done all this work is continuing to do stuff like we weren't sure when super came out like super was him coming back because gt was a flop and they wanted to continue stuff and it's very interesting to see that he's willing to continue to work on movies or anything else maybe even continue into another series and I think this is a good start for that with where the series has gone in super. And I think it's good to reintroduce like newer audiences that may have just gotten in during super to big name characters of the past. They kind of did that with Frieza in the current series. I know you haven't seen it, but they released two movies. They released uh super saying God or battle of the gods and um, resurrection F. 
which was Battle of the God Battle of the Gods was like a new introduction in how to become a Super Saiyan. So it was like a whole new level of superpower. Um and like leveling up again like the old shows were and that battle or resurrection f was the reintroduction of frieza from a resurrection so the old fans understood where that happened the new fans could be like okay this is a character i now understand then dragon ball super took those two movies started the series with those two as sagas and then continued the story you know i have to say also uh sorry to cut you off i have to say also that something i've really appreciated um, at least when I saw the the trailer, right, is that the art style is very much in alignment with the old art style for like Dragon Ball Z and for GT. Um, it doesn't look like they've departed too much from their roots, at least in the trailer, right? This is me talking about specifically the trailer here. I haven't seen Dragon Ball uh, Super. Right. Um, and, and so looking at that, I really appreciate that because you can definitely see the touches where it's like animation quality is better, right? There's no, there's no two ways about it. I mean, computers are better. It's easier to do these types of effects and things like that. Um, actually, I don't know if all of Dragon Ball is hand-drawn. So perhaps it's just... I don't know if it is artists. anymore. I would imagine there has to be some degree of computers involved in this. If, if nothing uh, else, they're drawing on tablets, right? Like they're not doing I would assume that they're doing tablets, probably using something like Maya or something. Well, Maya is more 3D, but like definitely using tablet art and running it through a PC system to kind of bring everything together. Right. Um, but it hasn't ahead, lost its charm it, it hasn't lost its charm i mean i saw this and I, I thought you know there's certain other shows not to not to be a little segue but maybe it should be there's certain other shows that have changed their art style in, in fashion that i found negative um, oh yeah we can definitely talk about this <laughs> and so yeah what i was just gonna get at is i'm just really excited that they look it just looks like a polished version of dragon ball uh, or rather right. dragon ball z and i like that i really appreciate that Right, and one of the shows that has definitely changed its style and also has a connection to San Diego Comic-Con this year is Teen Titans. So let's Teen start Titans. Let's start at the beginning here, Ben. Um, okay. Teen Titans was my show growing up. I think you and I have discussed before that it was also kind of your show growing up. Um, and then Teen Titans Go happened, and every fan of the original Teen Titans was like, no, God, please, why? Why are you doing this to me? Yeah. And then we got a, an interesting trailer uh, out of San Diego Comic-Con, which was the trailer for Titans. I've got a lot of problems with it, but Ben, I want to hear what you have to say about it first. Oh, okay, so I first found out about this. Um, God, I'm doing a lot of exposing of myself on this show when it comes to just like, oh, I'm not really I love exposure. I love, I love <laughs> it when you expose yourself, Ben. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. Yeah, you know, you're not the, you're not the first to tell me that. But... Um, <laughs> So, okay, so going into this, right, all I heard was, it's Teen Titans, it's going to be a live action. And I thought to myself, this is going to go one of two ways. This is either going to be absolutely amazing, like we're talking like, uh, it's just going to be the best thing ever, or this is going to be the Goku live action, right? This is going to be the Dragon Ball live action, exactly. Can we never talk about that again, please? Well... Well, okay, so here's where I segue into my perception of it. And right, that is, yeah. I mean, yeah, so there's a couple of images that came out. You showed it to me. I also saw the trailer that came out. And I look at this and I'm like, okay, let's address the obvious stuff that's coming up. Uh, Beast Boy, arguably my favorite character in Teen Titans. Uh, he's not green. Uh, okay, uh, okay. He has green hair. All right. So, first of all, I have a problem with that because I'm just like, all right, so we're just completely modifying the characters at this point. Like, their aesthetics are thrown off. 
um they're just gonna they just end up looking different you know obviously there's a thing with starfire um starfire is being played by a black woman and it's like not such a big deal in my opinion because i look at it and i go okay if you look at the characters from teen titans right if you're looking to market this thing and if you're looking for children to get involved in it or like young adults, whatever you want to call them, uh, you need to make it more diverse so that people can feel included, right? And I'm all for that. That's not a problem. Now, something that I will say, however, is when I saw her abilities, when she was like casting the flamethrower in the trailer, it looked, first of all, it's wrong. And second of all, it looks horrible. It's just like, why is she a fire mage all of a sudden? And I play fire mage, so I'm cool with that. But it's like she was meant to be throwing uh, energy bolts or plasma bolts or, or something else, right? And, and that's just not – simply not the case here. And then on top of that, Raven was kind of a more – and I know I'm targeting a lot of aesthetics here, but that's because I haven't seen a lot of the – you know, any other content really, right? Like I haven't seen how the characters interact. I haven't had a chance to enjoy how they're telling the story. I haven't had a chance to see all the plot points. So I'm going to focus and on And that's kind of the aesthetics. thing is that nobody has. No, everybody's seen like um... – Everybody's seen like the Starfire as a fire mage and not glowing green. Everybody's yeah. seen like the Beast Boy, where in the trailer it kind of showed his skin is green, but we don't know if that was regular transformation or not because we got the leak um, months ago of you know Beast Boy is just has green hair and that's yes. it. Yeah, um, and, and he looked Robin like he was a bit more guns and like everything else. Like it's just it's weird, and I don't know how I feel about it because Teen Titans was such a big deal when I was a kid. Now there's a couple of um, a couple of characters that they didn't really show faces of, but kind of like lean towards them. I'm pretty sure I saw Hawk and Dove in that trailer, or at least Dove. Um, Hawk and Dove are they part of? You're gonna have to refresh me. Is that Teen Titans East or who? Who are they? They are, I believe, that is part of Titans East, but they were also part of like Young Justice and a couple other like little groups. Okay, they were like bird people. So Dove was like about peace and stuff and hawk was like a war hawk okay all right yeah, so the whole sense. dynamic was it was like love and war or peace and war um but i'm pretty sure i saw dove in that trailer and then we get beast boy and we see raven obviously and we see robin but robin has a gun and i think it's gonna be like this weird transition between robin and nightwing for titans yeah and i'm kind of like off put by that i don't know how i feel about it really like it's gonna be interesting i love nightwing um I don't know how big into the comics you are, but Nightwing, as written by Kyle Higgins, uh, a guy from Illinois, is probably some of the best writing I've seen in a superhero comic book in a long, long time. Because it bridged – it doesn't bridge the gap. Uh, wrong phrase. It it definitely gave a slightly new curve on Nightwing. It took him out of his regular like shoes and put him somewhere else. And I think that's really, really interesting. Um, and I would love to see some of that idealism – brought into titans but giving robin a gun and having to say having him say fuck batman like there's a story behind that i'm interested in hearing what it is but i don't think it's the same story that brought dick away from batman originally i think it's a completely different set either that or we're dealing with a completely different robin i don't know that they've actually said it's been dick grayson i think there's potential for it to be jason todd which ended up being red hood in the comics and uses a gun which i'm okay with if they if they bridge that gap but jason todd died the joker killed him or allegedly right. so it's weird it's gonna be a weird thing for them to do and to kind of see 
where they go with these characters that we know and love from childhood. Well, I think to that point, I think that they're, uh, you know, it's possible that they've diverged completely. Like, it, it seems like it's gritty. It seems like it's going to be, um, you know, kind of telling these transitionary stories. They certainly have a lot to work with there, right? Like, kind of the um, the struggle that Raven has with, you know, being possessed and having these demonic powers. And then, you know, all, obviously all of this is kind of a backdrop or it's like a thinly veiled discussion on, you know, growing up as a person, maturing, all that good stuff. Um, right, but when right. you look at it, like I, they've already diverged so much in just the way that the characters look, but they still have characteristics like Beast Boy, hopefully is going to, you know, actually morph into some some beasts. I think that's kind of like, you know, that's the minimum we can expect from that. Right. But what I'm getting at is they're going to keep the characteristics, but they have a lot of room here to tell a different story and they have a lot of room to potentially rewrite storylines. I, I mean, I, I don't they know. absolutely can. Um... So we kind of we kind of joked about it last night, but you know, with the characters that we've seen so far and potential for them to add characters from you know Young Justice or any of the other sidekicks, what ships do you want to see? Because everybody and their mother is going to ship the shit out of this show. Wow, oh. a lot of alliteration! Holy hell, my brain hurts. <laughs> uh, so I look at it and I think to myself, you know, obviously a classic for me, and it was the same thing growing up. Right? Is I want to see the return of Beast Boy and Terra. Um, I don't know what timeline this is. Like I've said, they could have diverged, or it could be the same one. Who knows? But I want to see Beast Boy and Terra come back into the fold. Um, I also wonder if, God, you know, Slade or Deathstroke or whatever name they, they want to give him, right? Um, I, I want to see him come back. I, I don't know about, like, a ship for him necessarily, but that's a character that I do want to see again. Like, as far oh, as absolutely. I can reoccurring characters and, uh, you know, just getting parts of the old Titans back in. Um, besides that... It's like, when I think of ships, it's such a funny thing to discuss. Everybody, everyone has to think of, like, Robin and Starfire. I mean, oh, absolutely. From the, first, from the first episode of Teen Titans, right? It, it's that scene where, you know, she's this alien fugitive or whatever, and she ends up coming to Earth, and then they end up... Uh, he, like, approaches her, takes off the shackles or whatever it is that she's wearing, um, and she kisses him, and it turns out that that on her planet is kind of how they adapt the ability to speak another planet's language right right so they they were pushing it pretty hard from even the beginning um and i think that's just a natural ship everybody's going to want to see uh, and that's something that that continued in the comic books too up to like i just read uh uh kyle higgins the same guy i was talking about earlier he did a piece on nightwing called the new order and it's like the evolution of, you know, what happens when we don't need superheroes anymore or they start causing problems. It's kind of like the the Watchmen of of the DC universe, which is funny because Watchmen is now owned by DC. Um, <laughs> but it's Starfire and Nightwing. And that's kind of been a relationship that has been in the comic books forever. And we've just been waiting for it to happen in Teen Titans and so on. Um, I'm very, very interested interested to see what happens with that, being that she's not the Starfire we know, and I don't necessarily think he's the Robin we know either. Right. Yeah, I mean, so they and they've kind of set themselves up for that, right? That's what's so that's what's so interesting about it. My gut reaction, my knee jerk when I saw the trailer and I kind of started out the conversation about this was you know, I was I was pretty uh negative at first about the whole thing. I'm like, my God, you know, they've completely changed these characters. Um, because the only thing I can rely on is the aesthetic, and they look quite different, right? Um, and so I was like, 
uh, okay, I can understand why you would want to do that. But now I look at it in a new light and I'm like, okay, yeah, you know what? If you've changed the characters, um, let's see where you're going to take this. Like, is this a darker, grittier tale? It seems like it from the trailer. Uh, what kind of relationships, what are the dynamics, right? Further than just relationships, what are the dynamics overall behind or between these characters? I see that uh, the actress who plays Raven, she seems pretty young. I don't know exactly how old she is, but it, it almost seems like to me from the trailer that the relationship between Robin and Raven is going to be more of like, not necessarily mentorship, but almost like an older uh, older brother dynamic. And that wasn't something that you necessarily felt from... Uh, you know, Teen Titans, because in that Raven was more of like a loner. And then there was kind of this dynamic Beast Boy going on and then, you know, Cyborg potentially in the mix. But um, yeah, I'm really interested to see what are going to be the like the dynamics of these characters, given that they're already changing the way that they look and kind of their abilities, it, it seems to some extent. What can we now, expect? From that? Now, Ben, you've brought up you've brought up an interesting point with a character name that um I think you may have brought it up more than once, but Cyborg. I mean, what's what's your true opinion on on him not being around potentially because he's in Justice League and not in Titans? I ha- honestly, I hadn't even considered that. I mean, so coming from wow, wow, that's kind of sinking in now. Uh, I'm not even sure how to feel about that. Perhaps right. they'll do, like, cameo or something. Like, there'll be a small appearance. But, um, man, it really doesn't seem like... It doesn't seem like Teen Titans without Cyborg. And, and the thing is, because there was the whole, like, you know, the bromance or whatever you want to call it um, between Beast Boy and Cyborg. And, like, Cyborg was kind of always pushing himself, and Robin is very much that, like, type A character as well. And then that was bounced out more by, uh, y- you know, more by, like, Beast Boy is obviously kind of a goof, and he's just... He, He's, I guess he's more relatable, personally, for me. Um, and, and so you are a goof, I'll give you that. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and so it's interesting to see, or to at least consider, that, yes, yeah, Cyborg might not be part of this. Uh, to me, it's like, I feel like that's probably not a great decision, but, you know, uh, who knows? Maybe they'll find a way to naturally introduce him later. I don't know. It's one of those things that, like, decisions were made before this show was even a thought that kind of lock it in because I think what they're doing with this show is they're going to do kind of like what Marvel does with their TV shows where Marvel TV shows are in the same universe, but they are, they are a side piece. They are something that's on Netflix or ABC or whatever, where I think Titans is going to be very similar. It's in the same universe, which is why it's so dark and gritty, but it's, it's a side show, which in theory, then yeah, you could show, um, Cyborg, you could show Superman, you could show Batman, as long as you get the same actor or whatever, you could show these characters. The question is whether or not it's actually going to happen. Yeah, and to me, this kind of like to your to your point about that and kind of you know discussing Marvel and what they've got going on right now, to me, I would say this almost it's not gonna be as dark, I don't think, as like Jessica Jones. That's that's really dark as a show. Very dark, yeah. And I mean, Luke Cage is no. Luke Cage is still really dark. I, I just think that it's at going to times be it kind of depends. Vein. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the whole like you know when you watch Luke Cage, right? There's obviously kind of uh, I mean, he's indestructible. So how dark is it really going to is it really going to be when you have a character who's indestructible? I think I probably just triggered a lot of people who are like, oh, <laughs> what, what about such and such? But um, you know, in the case of Luke Cage, they do a really good job of balancing like 
you know, impoverished neighborhood? And then also like, what does your background say about who you are as a person? And can you really go beyond like, um, just where you come from and your family and your origin and all, all of these other topics that are wrapped into it. But what I'm trying to get at here is that I think they're going to strike a good position between, you know, maybe Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, right? Being gritty, also having that humor that we know from Teen Titans. Um, God, as long as it doesn't end up being like, the, not, not to trigger a lot of people, but the Death Note live action movie, if you ever saw oh, that. God, don't Because that's me. probably the worst representation of like, you know, an of that contest, yeah, yeah, turned, uh, turned any you know live action. Like I'm, I'm, I'm with you to an extent because I believe that this show is going to. I mean, it's going to be as dark as some of the dark episodes were in the original cartoon, but I'm afraid that it's just going to be that darkness all the fucking time, right? And with that, and kind of what you brought up about Luke Cage is. And maybe this might shed another light on on your opinion on Luke Cage or something else, but Luke Cage is physically indestructible, but not mentally, not not emotionally, and then he kind of shows that his weakness, so to speak, in in um, the Luke Cage TV show. I'm kind of interested interested to see, you know, what potentially could happen that's dark but also shows weakness with Titans. Like, are we gonna see Brother Blood? Are we gonna see you know, some of the Titans' bigger right. bigger enemies, you know, are we going to see Robin become Nightwing or whoever he becomes? Are we going to get back some of those characters that we've seen in maybe even Young Justice, uh, the cartoon that kind of is the closest representation to Teen Titans we've ever had after Teen Titans? Because Teen Titans Go is a shit show. Like, <laughs> it's great for kids to introduce them to the characters. I'm never going to knock it for that. It's perfect. But that's the way that animation has gone. It's gone into, and I hate to say this, it's gone into that CalArts style where a lot of shows are looking like that now with that and Steven Universe and the Thundercats remake that just got announced and a bunch of things right. like that. They all have the same fucking art style. They all look the same, and that's because that's what kids consume at this point. Teen Titans was drawn and directed in a way for our generation to consume as we were growing up. And I think that's kind of the difference between the two. I think that... Yeah, and you know what? Okay, so there's like uh, multiple levels, right? Because that was that was a lot. So let's let's try and break yeah, that down. Break that down. That was a lot. So let's first of all let's tackle it as far as like viewing experiences, as far as what generation is this catering to. Um, when I look at this, I look at it more as like yes, we're going into sort of the we're going into Luke Cage or we're going into Gotham territory here. Maybe not to the same. It's it, you know it's always going to be dark. Like Gotham is pretty much. It's always dark. There's humor in Gotham, but it's pretty dark for the most part. Um, but when you look at it, I think we're getting more, it's like a more adult tackle, at least from what I saw in the trailer. That's my hope. Um, I think that also, you know, it, it's being designed in such a fashion that they know that Marvel is out there creating these series like Luke Cage and that people are watching this stuff. People like Daredevil. I Well, I personally like Daredevil. I like Luke Cage. I like Jessica Jones. You know, I've consumed all of these things. And I think that they're seeing that and they're like, okay, well, obviously this is, you know, this is where the fan group is kind of at at this age. Um, and this is the way that they like to consume these shows. So I could definitely see them catering towards us that way. Um, as far as Teen Titans go, I'll definitely admit that the the style of the cartoon, and I've watched like, uh, what is it, Adventure Time? I used to watch that. Sure. But the style, it, it did turn me off. I mean, I stopped watching. And, you know, maybe that says something about me as like a viewer 
I, I did tune in for one or two episodes, but it just didn't it didn't seem to do it for me. Uh, and you know, don't get me wrong, the original Teen Titans, I, it's not like it was all perfect, right? It's not like every episode had some incredible story behind it. Um, but it just seemed like all of uh, Teen Titans Go was super, super slapstick, and then it was drawn together with this art style. Um, now, going back to your point about sort of like themes, and then also what we were saying about the dynamics between characters, I do want to see Brother Blood, right? And I do want to see Slade. I want to see these interactions. I want to see... Uh, I, wa- I want to see Red X. I want. I was to waiting for you to say it. I've been waiting and I trying to prod this. you into say Red X for so long because I kept making that reference to Nightwing. What if, what if we don't get Robin as a hero right from the get go? What if we get Red X? Okay, now that, God, I don't. Okay, so first of all, I think that would be. I think that would be awesome. I don't, however, think that they would pull that that early on. And the reason I say that is because what made the storyline of Red X so impactful from my perspective was that it was going on during this time in the Teen Titans where it really was this like, it was this question of trust and the direction of the Teen Titans. Um, And I think that was also compounded. I might be mixing up my timelines, but I feel that it was compounded by obviously like, you know, Slade's influence. It was also meant to be showing Robin was, you know, kind of maturing and he was looking for other areas. He was sort of rebelling. And then you also had the notion and the introduction of Teen Titans East. And granted, uh, you know, Teen Titans East, they were in a different city, right? They were handling like different crimes, different bad guys, blah, blah, blah. But even when you look at it, I don't think they pull it out right at the beginning because Red X is one of those characters that tests your group fundamentally. And I don't think that you start by testing the uh, relationships between your characters right out the gate. I think you let it build a bit, and then that's when you pull a red X, right? Right, absolutely. You have to have those characters there from the beginning. But just with how gritty we've seen Robin, like it wouldn't surprise me if he's angry, so he's going to hunt down superheroes now, and he becomes red X. Like He gives himself as an enemy persona from the beginning, but still plays happy, happy, nice guy to everybody as Dick Grayson or as... You know what? I just realized it has to be Dick Grayson, unless they're merging characters, because they show the flying Graysons in the goddamn trailer. Oh, oh yeah, that's actually yeah, that's pretty. It yeah, has pretty to be obviously. Dick Grayson, which makes that character feel weird to me. Yeah, it's interesting because he's already so, he's already so jaded towards superheroes. It seems, or like Batman in in particular, because actually, there's a line, isn't there? A line in the trailer itself oh, where Batman, he's like, yeah. "Fuck Batman," yeah. So he's already has that position of like, well, literally fuck Batman, you know, and, and maybe like kind of fuck superheroes in general. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That is interesting. God, I can just imagine the people who are listening are like pulling their hair out and now maybe they're relaxing thinking, oh, finally they addressed it. Yeah, exactly. Like it's going to be, uh, I'm sorry for that, folks. <laughs> i'm so so terribly sorry for being a dumbass but ben we have been going for almost an hour and 45 minutes at this point um i'm thinking i'm gonna cut this episode up a little differently and and the the viewers at home will have no idea but i'm gonna have to add a, a tagline at the end of the first episode we're gonna do this is gonna be two episodes ben we we have hit a threshold i've never done a two-part episode either so not only is this my first internet episode ben this is my first two-part episode to come out in a single month and ben i could not thank you enough for being here thank you so much man for doing this with me i i am very excited to have you here and i can't wait to do more with you in the future 
yeah, thanks. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, this has been really cool. It's actually the first podcast I've done. And uh, yeah, we covered a lot of ground with this. We definitely talked about a lot. Um, sorry for the rambling. But this is this has been a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun. The back button listeners, the few that there are, uh, know plenty about rambling for hours on end. So <laughs> most of them are used to it at this point. But Ben, again, thank you so much. Now, is there anything you want to plug? Can anybody find you on Twitter or anything like that? Oh, geez. Um, I don't really have a lot of social media. And most of my stuff that is social media is kind of like, I'm going to have to get back to you on that for future episodes. Because right okay, now it's that's just fine. professional stuff. Okay. That's perfectly fine, man. And we definitely get that. But thank you, Ben, um, for coming. Thanks for listening to the Back Button Podcast. This has been the Back Button Podcast. It is nothing to write home about. I am your host, Sam Langbartels. Uh, over there is Ben. Ben, say hi. Uh, hey. Yeah, see, that, that's Ben. And we had a great time talking about all the different topics that we hit today. There was so much to go through, and I'm so glad that we got through this. But once again, you can find us on Twitter at bbutton underscore podcast. You can find our tech site on Twitter at bbutton underscore tech. You can find me, me on Twitter at Merkmore. You can send us an email at backbuttonpodcast at gmail.com. Find us anywhere. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Uh, whatever. Have her listen to it. Download it on her phone. That'd be great. Leave us a review. Let us know if you liked how this worked with the internet and with longer episodes, two-parters, what have you. Tell me what's up because I am so glad – to be able to do this kind of stuff and bring other people on. It's always a good time. Once again, Ben, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, you folks have a great night. This is the end of the podcast playing now we are done. Yeah, goodbye.